Please stand for the reading of the word from Matthew chapter 9. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old cloak, for the patch pulls away from the cloak, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you. Uh, My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. As Ashley mentioned earlier, whether you're here in our audience or you're with us online, it's good to have you here. We're going through this season of Lent, uh, looking at a series called uh, Fast Feast, Feast Fast. And uh, and it's it's one of those series that... I'm going to just give you the spoilers. I've been doing this for the last couple of weeks. The abundance that we experience in God is found in Jesus Christ. If you get anything out of the next six weeks, five weeks now, that's really what I want you to get. The abundance that is found in God is realized through Jesus Christ. And the kicker is, is that it's not just during the feast that we experience abundance. Although feasts are wonderful, they're great to have, it's also in the fast. Sometimes it's in the grief. Sometimes it's in the lack. Sometimes it's in what's missing that we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look this this season about how do we experience the abundance of God at the wedding of Cana, where Jesus performs a miracle, makes more wine than anybody could possibly drink, or in the 40 days fasting in the wilderness as he prepares to do the work of God. And when we come to those places, when we come to those tables where Jesus is, are we going to be there too? Because sometimes Jesus, the host, sets the table. The question is, do you participate? Do you want to eat? So as we jump into the text today, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be gathered together. We're grateful to be able to, to worship you as high God, creator of heavens and earth. We're grateful to celebrate your son, Jesus, as we remember his life and his death, his resurrection through the table. We're grateful for the Holy Spirit that moves and works among us and shapes us to the better image of you. And Father, now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. It's together that the church says, amen. 
All right, so the, the story right before this story in the book of Matthew is the calling of Levi. Now, Levi and Matthew, those are kind of his two names. They're, they're for the same guy. But it's really curious because it's this real brief moment, right? He just says that Jesus came along, saw Levi in the tax collector booth, said, come and follow me, and Levi left the booth. That's all there is. Now, John calls himself the beloved disciple. Matthew, why doesn't he make it a bigger deal? I mean, Luke in the book of Acts uses we. We were there. Luke is saying, I was an eyewitness to this. Why doesn't Matthew make it a bigger deal? I mean, did, why was Matthew even called? He's a, he's a tax collector. He kind of, he's in this category of sinner. His, his name is Levi. So you imagine that his parents at some point had some sort of aspiration for the guy, right? Like Levi, Levite, priest, someone that's going to represent God to everybody else. You can just imagine how proud they were that moment when he came home and he said, guys, I'm going to be a tax collector for the Roman government. I'm sure they were so proud at that moment, Right? Because a tax collector, it's a dirty job. It's a job that's full with corruption uh, because your job is to collect money for an occupying force. And the way you get paid is by collecting more than what the Romans ask you to. And the Romans don't care if you take a little or a lot. All they want is to get paid. And so tax collecting kind of left itself open to this, well, I'll take a little bit from everybody and I'll have a lot. I mean, nobody really loves to pay taxes in the first place. So Levi, I mean, you can make the argument. He's the tax collector with the heart of gold that's only, you know, he's the moral one. Okay, whatever, maybe. Why is, why is Matthew called? I mean, maybe it's because Jesus knows him. Jesus, this, is, this story is set in Jesus' hometown, the, the area where he grew up. And so maybe he and Matthew came up together. Why is Matthew called? On the other hand, why are any of us called? For the purposes of today, now I might be right, I might be wrong. What I'd love for you to do is go home at lunch and, and debate this with your family. Uh, you tell me later if, what you think. But um, I might be right, I might be wrong. But I think in this text, called and gathered are synonyms. Called and drawn. I think they're the same thing. Sometimes it seems like in the text that, that God has a specific person for someone and he calls them to do that task. But also what God does is draw people in. And it's, they're two slightly different things. I realize there's, an, there, there's a little bit of nuance there, but mostly I think it's synonyms. That when you see Jesus and you see how he treats others, when you watch Jesus and you care about his values, you get drawn into Jesus. You can't observe Jesus and not be attracted to what he says and what he does. That Jesus draws people to him. And that's real similar to being called. I think that this text is best explained through John 
Hughes films. Now, these are from the 1980s, right? I'm talking about Pretty in Pink. I'm talking about Sixteen Candles. I'm talking about Breakfast Club. Basically, anything with Molly Ringwald in it, that's what I'm talking about here. Now, I realize that some of you have never seen these movies because these are coming on like 40-year-old movies, which shocked me and then disappointed me at the same time when I realized this 40 years ago. So if you've never seen these movies, here's how you get them. Go down to your local Blockbuster and rent them, and then you come... No, that won't work. So what you need to do is you get on Netflix and you order the DVD. They'll mail it to you. No, that won't work either. Um, You're going to have to figure out on your own how to watch these movies. But basically, I think this, this story about who Jesus eats with is about John Hughes films. In fact, it's about all teen movies in the 80s. I'm going to prove my point. Teen Wolf. It's about an awkward guy who wants to fit in, but unfortunately he's a werewolf and he has to figure out how to manage that. Back to the Future. It's an awkward guy who wants to fit in. Unfortunately, uh, he can't do that, so he has to go back in time. Karate Kid. Awkward guy, can't fit in, wants to fit in, he knows karate. Can't buy me love. Awkward guy, can't fit in, he buys a thousand dollar jacket so this girl will date him. Um, And it works. Uh, uh, Hoosiers. Hoosiers? Indiana basketball. Awkward team, can't fit in, goes on to win the state championship. That one's a little different. Fast times at Ridgemont High. They're all the same. They're all the same. It makes you wonder what screenwriters and directors of teen movies in the 1980s, like what their childhood experience was like. I think they were all just bullied, awkward people that didn't fit in because that's what they wanted to talk about. But the question underlying is more severe. How do people from different cliques and different places all learn that they have something in common? And that thing that they have in common transcends the differences between them. And all of a sudden, what seems just like this weird cliche of 1980s movies suddenly has relevance. Because I think that's a question that we've been struggling with for at least 2,000 years. At least since that time, how do people that come from very different places and very different experiences and have very different backgrounds, how do they find themselves at the same table? And what do you do then? Because this is so much more than just jocks and nerds. This is so much more than sitting at the wrong side of the cafeteria. This has kingdom consequences. So here's what you need to know. Sinners, in this context, is a profession, right? It's not just some sort of unfortunate circumstance or of unathleticism or braces or glasses. This is even worse in Jesus' time than having leprosy, right? This is something that you chose to do that puts you on the outside. Because your job made you unclean or immoral or, or just offensive in some way, right? And this is played out in, in modern uh, shows too. Despicable me, Despicable me too, right? Gru has this flashback when he's a kid and he likes this girl. He's the awkward guy. And he goes up to talk to her about the moon landing, but he can't talk to her about the moon landing because she's not paying attention. And so he touches her to get her attention. And somebody else sees this and she says, Ew, Cindy's got Grudies. Not Cindy? Anyway, moving on. Um, And immediately what happens is the entire playground, like, abandons her. And Gru's standing there left all all by himself. 
And those of us that are a little older that have never seen this movie, you lived this, right? This was Church of Christ for some of us growing up. Because you couldn't have fellowship with someone that was in error. In fact, you couldn't have fellowship with someone who was having fellowship with someone that was in error. I mean, and this got ridiculous. Like, you couldn't have fellowship with someone who was having fellowship with someone who was having fellowship with someone who was in error. Because that, that, it was contagious. Now, new movies kind of have a different take. They want to say, it doesn't matter if you love playing D&D in your basement. It doesn't matter if you can't dance. It doesn't matter if you're unathletic. You can find community and you are find meaning and your, 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 your status isn't described by kind of this hierarchy that exists in your high school. And I, that's well and good. But the reality is, if people reject you, if people think you are categorically or functionally unclean or dirty or immoral and they want nothing to do with you, the truth is it's not just that they reject you, you end up rejecting them. And if you reject them, you're probably also going to reject their God. So my favorite preacher, Barbara Brown Taylor, she tries to shake this up and give it a new vantage point. She says, so if I were putting together a sinner's table at Huddle House, that's her a ministry she worked with, it might include an abortion doctor, a child molester, an arms dealer, a garbage collector, a young man with AIDS, a Laotian chicken plucker, a teenage addict, an unmarried woman on welfare with five children by three different fathers. Did I miss anyone? She says, don't forget to put Jesus at the head of the table, asking the young man to hand him a roll, please, and offering the doctor a second cup of coffee before she goes back to work. In this story, the Pharisees are there too, right? Like, this isn't a private dinner. In fact, I don't think many dinners were private in Jesus' time. It's all public, and it's, it's hard to tell if the Pharisees are there in the room and they're shocked by it, or if they're, they're sticking their nose in to see what Jesus is doing, or if they're just walking by and they glance in the window. But they ask Jesus' disciples. They don't even talk to Jesus. They say, hey, what's up with your rabbi? What's he's doing? And the disciples ask the rabbi, and, and, and Jesus responds, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I love what Barbara Ludblad has here. She says, he's quoting the prophet Hosea. Mercy, or the word could be translated compassion, is more important than sacrifice or ritual. If you don't have compassion, then all the rituals in the world would not bring you closer to God. And that's the word the prophet Hosea brought from God centuries before. This is Hosea 6, verses 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, do not be confused about what Hosea is talking about. The virtue of offering ritual sacrifice is valuable. The virtue of being uh, clean and holy is valuable. It's just that compassion is a louder voice. And the problem with the religious institutions of Hosea's time is they got that twisted. They forgot what's the louder voice, the louder moral imperative. And Jesus concludes by saying, For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
And you can't help but hear in that moment the sermon that Jesus just preached in the book of Matthew. It's just two or three chapters ahead of time where he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who want righteousness but can't get it. Those who long for the world to be made right. Those who imagine a world without war or cruelty. Those who still root for the underdog. Those who want to see not only their society changed but themselves changed. The nerd, the leper, the tax collector. People like old Levi. People like me. And people like you. And that that takes us back to John Hughes. Probably the best movie he ever did was, it's called The Breakfast Club. And basically it's five students that all have Saturday detention. And so they have to come back to school. And and there's 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 a stereotype, right? There's a jock and there's a nerd and there's kind of an outcast. Um, There's a a criminal and then there's like a, a princess, the person that does it all right. And, and normally, these five students would never talk to one another in their high school because the social structures and the expectations of them do not allow them to even acknowledge one another's existence, even though they kind of grew up together. They knew each other when they were kids. But the beauty is that that space that gets created on that Saturday morning allows them to experience intimacy. When the social cues and the pressures are not there, there's a space to discover something about one another. And there's a beauty there because it's like Jesus' presence is at the end of that movie. Because the reality is that God's economy has space for everyone. And here's the truth. You can't draw closer to Jesus without getting closer to the other people that want to be closer to. Maybe that sentence didn't make any sense. I'll explain it. You can't draw closer to Jesus without getting closer to the other people that want to be closer to. The community around Jesus is not selective in the sense that it keeps other people out. The community around Jesus is selective in the sense of the who are those that are drawn? Who are those that are called? Who are those that see Jesus and beyond a shadow of a doubt, they want that more than anything else in their life? And when you get there, what you're going to realize is there's a lot of people that you don't know at that table. In fact, there's a lot of people that, in your gut reaction, you may not want at that table. The question is not, is Jesus welcome in your dining room? Jesus is not concerned with that question at all. Rather, the question that Jesus asked, would you eat at the table that Jesus does. It's not a question of, are you hospitable? Is there room for Jesus in your heart? Although that's an important question. The more important question, the, more, the louder imperative, moral imperative, is are you going to eat at the table that Jesus is at? Because the people that are there may not be who you expect. But the promise of the kingdom is that when you go there, you experience something that is radically transformative, radically different.
It's called the love and mercy of God. And Jesus ends this text by saying, look, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. You can't take this idea that I'm giving you and expect it to fit into the social construction that you have in your mind that you came into this party with. It will not fit. The wine will destroy the wineskin and you're going to lose it all. You need a new social idea to understand the economy of God. And that question, just like the Karate Kid and Teen Wolf and all of those teen movies, that question is the question that the Jews and, or Jews and Gentiles wrestled with as they became Christians in the first century. It's the question that the Christians have wrestled with. Who is welcome at Jesus' table? It's the question that America wrestled with in the 50s and 60s regarding civil rights, and we wrestle with it now. Would you feel like you could eat at Jesus' table? Can you eat at the place where Jesus is host? Because the people there, they might surprise you. Would you please stand for our benediction? I want to ask our prayer team to come forward. Uh, they are going to be available to pray for you. Uh, these are trusted leaders and elders at our church. If, if you need prayer for anything or just someone to talk to, if, if it involves a conversation now or a conversation, a cup of coffee later this week, they're available for you. You can come forward uh, at the end of the service and find them. But this week, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to find yourself at an unusual table, whether that's a cafeteria at your school or a place where you work. And you may have to go out of your way because I think we've created all of this social structure to insulate us from people that are not like us. And so you may have to work. But I want you to find yourself at an uncommon table and see what happens when Jesus shows up. So may you be full of God's boldness and courage. May you see the love of God on the face of the stranger, even if they're the sinner. Go in peace.